2020 uh, as individuals and as a church. So we continue on with that this morning. And the question posed to me and to you is, what is your calling? There was a movie came out by Disney a few years ago called The Incredibles. And Mr. Incredible was a former superhero. And now he's done doing that and he finds himself as a paper pusher in the cubicle of an insurance company. Now, he went from being superhero, now he's sitting in this cubicle being a paper pusher. So his sense of depression and lack of self-worth is intense and profound. He has lost his identity and his life is now consumed with his job. And it seems as though his life has lost its purpose and meaning. Now, most of us have probably experienced that in our life at some point. Years ago, there was a paper that uh, American put out. It, at the back of it, it had uh, people who have retired. And I remember looking at that, and they retired with 45 years of service, but then five years later, they passed away. And I remember thinking, all those years of working and saving and hoping, and you finally get there only to be gone in a short amount of time. To say we have lost our identity a lot of times, especially as men, and what we do for a living. I was able to watch the movie Overcomer while I was at home. And I want to encourage you something they did in that movie. Go home today or sometime this week and open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to read through that and see how it describes you as a believer. Because I think a lot of times we have lost our identity to what we do or what we are able to do rather than finding our true identity in Christ. All right. So do that this week. Now, we spend a lot of time at work. We spend more time at work than we do with our own families. And at work, it could be an office job where you sit in a cubicle all day, or you could be out laboring in the field, building houses, loading luggage, whatever it is. We spend so much time there that we can be resentful of our job and get to where we just don't like going there. In fact, we hate our job. But we have to be careful with that because if we get to that point, it will skew our whole viewpoint of life in general. We become complainers and negative everywhere we see. So we have to be careful that we don't let that consume the rest of our life. It can have a negative impact on our perspective. So we're going to look at Scripture this morning so we can have a healthy vision, spiritual vision, of our life, especially when it comes to work. Now, last time we talked about how life is a gift from God because of His grace and His incredible mercy and love. And now we're going to turn to where we spend the majority of our time at work 
and how you and I can have a spiritual vision for works. Let's look in verse 10 of Luke chapter 3. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he answered and said to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. Now listen to this. And then some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioned, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content or be satisfied with your wages. Now, to really understand what's going on here, let's go back and look at this in context. So back to verse 1 of the chapter, and we find that Luke chapter 3 starts off by talking about John the Baptist. So when we look at the crowds, we're questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? Let's go back and see this, this question in context. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, you will find in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, when Herod was the Tetrarch of Galilee, gives us more indication historically what's going on in the high priesthood of Anna and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came to all the districts around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So this is John the Baptist. So the question was posed to John the Baptist by the tax collectors and the soldiers, what shall we do? In verses 4 and 5, Luke quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and 5, that describes John's ministry. And if you look back at those verses, look at the, look at the question he asked him. You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? That question is very a hard question. You call them a brood of vipers, some serpents, some snakes. Who told you to come? So, of course, the, the, uh, the given Answer that question. John said, I didn't tell you to come out here. So who told you to come out here to flee from the wrath to come? Who has shown you how to flee from it? Or how? who told you you can flee from the wrath to come by just by the by this baptism? And, of course, the implied answer is John said, I certainly have not. He tells them, therefore, bear fruits and keep repentance. So the inference here is that when you come to faith and you follow in baptism, your faith should produce fruit. You can't divorce those two. The justification and sanctification, there's also some fruit bearing that needs to happen to show that, yes, you have come to repentance. Yes, you are now justified. Now you're becoming sanctified. It's a, it's a process. And he tells them, do not begin to say we have Abraham for our father. Our better way to translate that is don't even think about it. Because it doesn't mean anything. The true repentance will produce fruit. It will produce deeds, works, actions, conduct. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. Now, let me just back up for a second. Matthew 7, chapter 1 is something that's quoted a lot, a lot of times. Judge not, lest you be judged. Why is that? Verse 2 tells us, the same measure you use against somebody to judge them will be the same measure that's used against you. So you, you hear that a lot. Don't judge me. But in Matthew chapter 7, specifically verses 15 and 16, Jesus gives us a warning. He tells us, beware of false prophets. 
They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, the text says, they are ravenous wolves. So if someone comes to you in sheep's clothing, how can you distinguish who they are? He tells us. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So he's telling them you will know them by their fruit. So I understand people said judge not, but if I claim to be a Christ follower, a Christian, then I should be bearing fruit of that. Does that mean I'm perfect? No. Doesn't mean I doesn't stumble and fall, but there should be some fruit being produced in my life that shows, yes, I am truly a follower of Christ. So he's telling them, who told you to come down here and be baptized? So the emphasis he's telling these people as he's preaching this message of repentance, you need to repent and be baptized. But you also need to bear fruit with that. You need to actively seeking that sanctification process. See, we ask people all the time, are you saved? Past tense. Nothing necessarily wrong with it, but maybe there is because... When we say that, it almost gives the impression that all you have to do is come down here and say this little prayer and get baptized and you're good to go. Well, yes, you're justified now. You are saved from the wrath to come. Yes, because the blood of Christ covers you. But the journey has just begun. There will be a process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ day by day. What does that mean? Self-sacrifice. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Put others before yourself. It's a self-denial, a self-dying, if you will, to what I want, to what he wants. And I think, no, let me rephrase, I believe we're missing that in American churches. Too much of a church has become consumerism-driven. We want to be like Burger King. We want it our way. When really it should be all about His way and what he wants. So put this in context, that question, what shall we do? This is what's happening. John's preaching this message, a voice crying in the wilderness. And he tells them that the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Now, this is clearly one of judgment, but he's not talking about the final judgment. It's the judgment because now the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus has come. God has come. Kingdom of God is at hand. Because of that, judgment's already fallen. We will see as you read the rest of the gospel, the last are becoming first and the first are becoming the last. Things are starting to happen. The bearing fig tree is now experiencing its final hour. Unless there's repentance, it will be cut down. You know, that fig tree, you see it and you look off and it should be bearing fruit and you go over to it, it's not producing anything. Just a word of caution. As an individual believer and as a church, we are to be bearing fruit. Not just the appearance of fruit, but truly producing spiritual fruit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We talk about love. Let me just chase this rabbit for a second. We talk about love. We use that word a lot in our language. 
I love watching football. I love ice cream. I love, but we're talking about love. We're talking about God's love, agape love, unconditional love. That means I'm going to love you regardless if you love me back or not. It's easy to love somebody who loves you back, isn't it? Maybe it's not. You've got to look at me like, but it's easy. It's harder to love somebody who will spit in your face and kick dirt in your face. It's hard to love somebody like that, isn't it? But that's what we're called to do. So in all this context that, that John's preaching to these people comes that question. What? Shall we do? Now, it's interesting that Luke tells us that two group of people now, in light of this message about repentance and bearing fruit, two groups of people come up and specifically ask him, what shall we do? The first group of people, tax collectors. You guys like the IRS? By the way, this will go on the Internet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You like, you like to, no, we don't like the IRS. They didn't like them back then. These tax collectors came up to him. And they're asking, what shall we do? Well, he starts off by saying, the man who has two tunics to share with him who has none. Another, a tunic was a shirt. Give somebody who has a shirt. And he talks about food, do other likewise. And these tax collectors come up. And these tax collectors could also be uh, translated as uh, revenue or Toll collectors, and they're usually in places like Capernaum and Jericho. They would collect tolls, they would collect customs, they would collect tariffs. They had bid, bid on this job and run the right to do that job for the Roman government. And their profit was determined about how much money they would collect. All the Romans cared about, you get our tax money, anything get above and beyond that, there's yours to keep. So you can tell right there, there's a lot of room for a lot of abuse going on right there. So they were not very well liked. They were frowned upon by those in Jewish society. Um, they, uh, they were dishonest. And by the way, it was known among tax collectors that dishonesty was the rule, not the exception. Their witness was not allowed in the court of law. That should tell you something right there. No one trusted them. So they were often associated with sinners and prostitutes. And so they come and say, well, what shall we do? What does John tell them? Look in the text. What is John's answer to them? Collect no more than what you've been ordered to do. In other words, don't cheat. Be honest. Then he talks about some soldiers. Now, these are not Roman soldiers. Perhaps those who were hired by Herod Antipas, these Jews. Of course, if you know anything about the Herod family, that, that family was really messed up. He was paranoid about his power. So he would hire these Jewish young men to be these soldiers and they would help enforce the occupation of Israel by Rome and perhaps to assist the tax collectors in their duties. And they asked John, then what shall we do? Doesn't tell them to resign. Look what he says. Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Let me just make sure we're following along now. This message preached by John about repentance and producing fruit is now met with these two people, these two group of people. Then what shall we do? Notice that John doesn't tell them they should quit their job, does he? 
He tells the fact collectors, be honest. Don't collect any more than you are. And he tells the soldiers, don't shake anyone up. Don't do extortion. Be honest and avoid the sins in your profession. So they, he gives them solid answers, some good practical things to do. But here's where I'm going with all this. I think there's an unspoken answer here that really has us in mind here. And I think, it, I believe it to be important for us. And here it is. You ready? Your job, what you do to earn financial resources, take care of your family, is important. And you should not necessarily quit it. Because here's the thing. Just because a man is a tax collector doesn't mean that that's his calling. Just because a man is a centurion in a Roman army doesn't mean that's his calling. Just because you work in IT, information technology, or you work for the bank, or you work in sales, or you work at Walmart, whatever and wherever it may be, that may not be your calling. But that does not mean you should quit your job. Your calling, what are you called to do in this life? It may be the jobs you're doing to earn a living, but it may mean not. So the first thing you need to discern when you're asking what your calling is, is what spiritual gifts and talents do you have that both glorify God and bring joy to others? Never underestimate the gift of time. Many places need volunteers, hospitals, people who are sick, retirement homes. People go in and have a smile on their face to minister to those in there. Your calling may be not your job, but here it is. See, what you're called to do by God covers all your areas of life where your job is just one aspect of your life. You understand what I'm trying to say? In other words, here, here's the whole thing wrapped up in a sentence. Your job, your occupation, what you do for a living should be an extension of your faith and your worship. So what we're called to do as Christians, our calling, if you will, is to what? Share the gospel. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that Jesus taught us. And baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission. That is our calling. But now we're going to personalize that to what is your calling. So when you discern that, what gifts do you have that God's given you to order to build his kingdom? Your secular job, what you do for a living, is this a tool to accomplish what your true calling is? Do you follow? All right. So my job that I have outside this place, see, I'm called first and foremost by God to what? To pastor, to preach the gospel. American is just a tool that I have in order to help me to accomplish that greater mission. It gives me the financial resources and other things that I need in order to help build God's kingdom. I have opportunities because I can fly to go places and do things that if I didn't work there, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do. And because you have another job and you're out there making a living, God expects you to take those resources that he's given you with that to help build his kingdom, which is your calling. Now, how many of you have actually taken a spiritual gift survey? There's some back on the table. What gifts has God given you? Some of you, he's given the gift of time. Perhaps you're retired. Perhaps he wants you to go volunteer somewhere. 
Perhaps you may want to come up here and volunteer at the school during the summer for our summer reading program or come here during blast and teach with those kids. But all of us have a part to play. So to answer the questions of the message, what is your calling? Your calling is to build the kingdom of God using all the special gifts and talents and resources that God's given you in order to accomplish that mission. You're probably wondering why I didn't start that to begin with. But you see here clearly in Luke chapter 3, he doesn't tell them to quit their job. Now here's where the rubber really hits the road. At my place of employment, I can hear a lot of bad language, crude jokes. And so a lot of people say, well, I need to get out of there. There's bad people there. I need to get around a more Christian influence. I'm not going to tell you what to do in that. I would ask you to pray because you might be the only Jesus those people see. You are given an opportunity to let your light shine. And to make a difference in the lives of those people. I had a conversation with someone earlier this morning. When did we want to retract back and meet in our little ivory palaces? When do we give up all that territory rather than being that light of the world? And by the way, you're, you're not the light. We talked about this a while back about the sun and the moon. Does the moon give off any of its own light? No, it reflects the sun. So as the sun, son of God, shines in our life, we reflect that light out to the people around us. And when they see that difference in you, you can say, hey, it's not me, but let me tell you about the person in my life who's making the difference. His name's Jesus. That's the true light. Let me tell you about him. And you can have the same type of relationship I have with him. Let me tell you how you need to do it. Bingo. But I think here in America, we've given up way too much territory to the enemy and stepped out. We need to go in there. What did Jesus talk about his church? You remember where Peter made that great confession? In the Jewish eyes, going across the Sea of Galilee to that place, that was literally the edge of hell. And in that place, Jesus asked him, who do people say that I am? Some people think you're Elijah, come back from the dead. But then he, Peter said, I believe you're the son of the living God. You are the Christ. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're right. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock of faith. And the gates of hell will not prevail. In other words, church, here's what I'm getting at. We should be on the offense, not the defense. What did Jesus did? He stepped out of heaven to come to this world. He went on offense to reclaim the creation, his creation, one life at a time. We should be the same way. We should be out there working among the people to make that difference. We should have laws. I understand that. We should have laws. We should have moral laws. But if you want to truly change a society, a community, a neighborhood, there's only one being who can do that, and that's God himself, because only he can change the human heart. What is your calling? 
So in order to give you some more practical advice, I'm going to give you three questions. But I want to read this passage to you. It's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And I want to encourage you as you go out, if you retire, whatever you're doing, it tells us whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance. It's the Lord Jesus or the Lord Christ whom you serve. So when I'm working, <laughs> hey, church, guess what? I'm not working for you. You just catch what I just said. I'm working for him. As a pastor, I'm working for him. And if I'm busy working for him, 98% of all this horizontal stuff will take care of itself. Now, we'll just argue because we're sinners. We're tainted by sin. We're going to have problems. We're going to have conflict. But if I keep in mind that I'm serving him, and when I go to the airport, I'm not serving the pastor by loading that bag. I'm not helping my crew chief or the company. I am serving Christ through that. So when people see how I handle myself at my job there, how I talk, how how I handle adversity, they're going to see that difference in me. And let me tell you, it's not about me. If it was up to me, it would be a whole different story. But because of Christ working in me, they see that difference. And I can tell them about that difference. We should look at our work, our employment, as great opportunities rather than just a drudgery of, oh, I got to go to work. I got to go to work. There is a uh, organization called the Gospel Coalition. Uh, it was founded by D.A. Carson and Tim Keller, and their purpose is to encourage and educate the current and next generation of Christian leaders by advocating gospel-centered principles and practices. And here's where I'm going with this. Every uh, week, they have an interview with a person who has a secular job, and they, they ask them questions in this interview. And so they, they introduce the person. They talk about what they do. And then they ask three questions. And as we look at these three questions, I want you to think about what you do. Use these questions to help narrow your focus to how your job can be an extension of your faith and your worship. So here they are up on the screen. I'll read them as well. As an image bearer of God, how does your work reflect some aspect of God's work? An image bearer of God. In other words, we're created in the image of God. And if you're a born-again believer, you're now an ambassador of Christ. You represent the eternal kingdom of Christ, of God. So in that Truth, how does your work reflect some aspect of God's work? Um, How can you see that being played out? How can you use that to show people that they have worth, that they have aspect, there is a creator, that life does have meaning and purpose outside of employment? The second question, how does your work give you a unique vantage point into the brokenness of the world? (laughs) You don't have to go very far to see that. There's people hurting all around. And one thing is open my eyes to see, no matter where I go, be it Walmart, be the airport, you know, not everybody at the airport's traveling for pleasure. Some people are dealing with some heavy issues. People in Walmart are not there just because they want to spend money. Some of them are carrying a lot of issues. And everybody we come across, we have to ask ourselves, we don't know what's going on in their lives. Everybody has problems. Everyone has their own story 
You remember that. And as you run across people every day of your life, you know, so oftentimes we get so focused on, I need to get this done, I need to get this done. We lose a lot of opportunities because perhaps that's a divine appointment God's already made. And he wants me to use that opportunity to speak truth into their life. It could be speaking to them for five minutes. It could be just a hug, a smile. Hey, how you doing? Whatever it may be. And the third question to consider, Jesus commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. How does your work function as an opportunity to love and serve others? I believe one problem we have in America with churches and Christianity, you have Sunday here that's totally disconnected from the rest of the week. We dress this way, we talk this way, we do all these things on Sunday, but they do not have any importance to the rest of the week. In other words, you get into your car here in a few minutes and you won't go out to eat. Get out of my way, I will be late for lunch! See, Christianity, it doesn't stop. You don't punch a time card. It's relational at its very core. Sunday should be the natural outflow of what's happened to us through the week. It's here that we get recharged and encouraged because the world's going to beat you up. You ever had a rough week? That's why the Bible tells us don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as the habit of some. But all the more encouraging each other as you see the day drawing near. What day? The final day. You need this time to come together as brothers and sisters go, hey, I'm not alone. I have my brothers and sisters that are experiencing life with me. And perhaps you have a situation that someone's always been down and they can give you godly counsel, come along and encourage you. You think that's why Sunday school split up usually by ages? It's not just by random, it's on purpose because you're going through the same part of life other people are. You can gain encouragement and discernment from your fellow believers. If you're trying to walk, do this walk by yourself, you're going to fail. You need God first and foremost. But you need your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're not plugged into a local church faithfully serving him, you're going to fail. Our church is perfect? No. Because they're filled with sinners, saved by the grace of God. And I'll take a step further than that. If Forestburg Baptist Church was perfect, it stopped the minute they called me as pastor, because guess what? I am not perfect. Does that mean I just, just use that as an excuse to whoever I want? No. I keep striving. I keep praying. I keep searching. I'll never get to that point in my life where I sit down and say, I've done it all. There's always something more to do, always something more to learn. And God is so gracious. By narrowing the focus on your work to questions as such as these on the screen, you will be able to get a healthy spiritual vision for your job, what you do. But let me make one make this point even clearer. Your calling is not what you do 
to earn financial resources to earn a living. That's not your calling. Your calling is to build the kingdom of God. Well, what is my calling? You need to search God. You need to pray. Take a spiritual inventory. What gifts do you have? What resources do you have? We use all those things together to build the kingdom. That's why it takes people from all different walks, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, education levels. See, in here, all the distinctions that happen out in the world disappear. Doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter how much money you make, doesn't matter where you went to school. In here, we're all on the same level ground at the foot of the cross. And God has given you a gift, gifts that you can use for his glory to bring people to the saving knowledge of Christ and encourage your fellow believers. Your work, your job should be, must be an extension of your faith and your worship, period. Go back to the tax collectors and the soldiers. Didn't tell them to reside. He said, go back. This is my paraphrase. Make a difference. Let them see that change in you. Don't run away, but show them. Tell them. So my question, first and foremost, do you have that relationship with Christ? Have you given your life to him fully and said, here it is? Is he Lord and Savior of your life? If you, if you made that and said, yes, I've broken God's law, God, please forgive me. Jesus, come in. Holy Spirit, come in my heart and my soul. Take residence. Have control of my life. If you've done that and profess profession of faith in Christ, then praise God you've done that. The next question we must answer is this. What is keeping us back? What's holding us back? I believe in my heart. Some people in this room have listened to the voice of enemy far too long. It's telling you, you can't make a difference. You can't do that. Well, you know what? He's partially right. You can't do that. But what the scripture tells us? With God, all things are what? Possible. All. And I like what they said at Kingdom Men. That word all in the Greek means all. Just simply means all. All things. What is God leading you to do this morning? Maybe he's calling out of your comfort zone right now to go and pray with somebody. Think that's just random? God's calling you maybe to go pray with somebody. Maybe he's calling you to come up here and pray for our church. Maybe pray for your family members. Maybe he's just to, to, to praise him. Give him thanks. Whatever God's leading you to do. Because I'm telling you, If you're going to go in Christ, he's going to push you out of your comfort zone. That's what he does. Because he gets us to the place where he goes, you go, well, you know what? I can't do this. I can't. But, God, I'm trusting you. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but, God, I'm trusting you. And God will prove himself faithful time and time again. Quit listening to the voice of the enemy And listen, oh, I beg you, listen to the voice of truth. 
listen. With God, you can make a difference. All is not lost. We read the end of the book. Who wins? Who won? The, the war's already been, been fought and, and won by Christ on the cross. We have an opportunity. It blows my mind where God saved me, justified me when I didn't deserve it, constantly making changes in my life, and now places me in a position of leadership? But I have to be humble, constantly seeking him. Because with God, what? All things are possible. Would you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we do have your word and we can can read it, study it. And Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that illuminates the scriptures for us. And Father, I know you've been working and you're continuing to work right now in this moment. And Father, I pray that you would pull men and women, boys and girls, close to your side that, Father, they would hear your voice, the voice of truth. Father, let us be about seeking your kingdom. Let us be about building your kingdom. Let us see that when we go to work, it's not just happen to go to work, but another opportunity to share Christ, to build your kingdom, to see a life changed by the transformational power of the gospel. Father, I pray that we respond to you in complete obedience. I'll lift all these men, women, boys, and girls up to you, dear God, and ask you to pull them close to your side. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.